0: All right, so uh, definite redemption tonight. Definite redemption, aka limited atonement, aka effectual redemption, aka particular redemption. <laughs> these are these are all terms for really the same doctrine. I mean, it goes by um, uh, if, if, yeah. I think did I already say effectual redemption? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the idea is that when Christ died on the cross, he definitely redeemed whoever it is he died for. Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's, there's two prominent views on it. There are three views that are out there. Um, but I always like to, when we talk about definite redemption or limited atonement, I always like to start by reminding Christians Um, particularly if they struggle with it. You know, when I have a conversation with someone who said, I don't really believe in limited atonement, um, I like to remind them that most Christians, the vast majority of Christians, believe in limited atonement. right? Because the complete opposite of a limited atonement is universalism. So the vast majority of Christians believe that the atonement Is limited in some way, right? The Arminian would say that it is limited to those who choose to put faith in Christ, right? Um, The Reformed thinkers would say that it is limited to those that Christ chooses to put faith in Him, right? So it all comes down to somebody's choice but redemption is limited in some sense because if it's not, well, then you're talking about universalism. Um, and so there are, and so, you know, there is, uh, e- essentially there's the, there's the reformed view. Um, sometimes it's also known as reformed particularism. That's a phrase that I got from J.I. Packer, reformed particularism. Um, and, and they would say, or you know the re- the reformed position would say that the atonement is um unlimited in its efficacy but it is limited in its extent right meaning it is it is enough to pay for the sins of everybody in the world it is unlimited in its efficacy it 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 is enough to efficaciously Atone for the sins of everyone, but it's limited in its extent. It's not applied to everyone. It's applied to a certain number, right? Then a second view is known as uh, hypothetical universalism. And hypothetical universalism would say that uh, the atonement is is um, uh, unlimited in its extent, but it is limited in its efficacy. In other words, it is for everyone. It's unlimited in its extent. Christ died to pay for the sins of everyone, but it's limited in its efficacy because it's only limited, it's only efficacious to those who choose for Christ. And then there's actual universalism as opposed to hypothetical and actual universalism would say that the atonement is unlimited in its extent and in its efficacy. Everyone goes to heaven. And there are a few oddballs out there that believe that for a while, uh, around uh, 2012, it was starting to become really popular because, a very, because of a very popular, charismatic, young preacher who wrote a book called Love Wins. Anyone remember that book? Rob Bell. Rob Bell. That's right. Wrote this book, Love Wins. And uh, argued that, you know, in the end, God's love just cannot be stopped. You know, God is so loving that everyone will be saved. Everyone. No one is going to go to hell. And a lot of people um, really started to catch on to that. They, They liked the idea of such a massive, amazing, loving God that even those who didn't care a whit about God, uh, nonetheless, God will be merciful to them in the end and uh, will bring them into the the new earth. And in the end, love wins. Um, that just doesn't jive with, with scripture. Um, and so, you know, we're going to talk about it, but I also want to address the question of why, why does it matter? Because sometimes that's the question that you'll get from Armenians, oftentimes, you know, well, you know, why does it even matter? Why, why, why spend the time talking about this? Why spend the time debating it? Why spend the time trying to figure it out? Of course, they'll say it doesn't matter until you actually start teaching it. And then all of a sudden they're pretty upset by it. And now all of a sudden it matters. Um, in the end, it matters because it's about knowing God, right? The chief end of man is to know God. And enjoy enjoying forever, and God wants us to know Him rightly, because unless you know God rightly, you cannot worship Him rightly. Um, if you don't know God rightly, then you are worshiping a God that is to some degree fashioned in your own image. Right? He, he's he's the kind of God that I want Him to be, and that's the God that I worship. But who is the 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 one true God? of 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 the Bible. Who is the one true God of creation? What is that God like? Um, and so it's about knowing God and, and that matters. Um, it matters not just because, you know, the Westminster the first question of the Westminster Catechism says it matters, but it's about just loving someone, right? It's about having a loving relationship. And we all know that from a human perspective, when you love someone you want to know everything about them right and you find that special person um you know i think back to when i met terry in ninth grade we would spend hours literally hours talking on the phone in the middle of the night and when i look back i think what in the world did two 16 year olds have to talk about <laughs> for five hours i have no idea what we even talked about you know but it's just a matter of you ask all of the meaningless questions, I mean, in the grand scheme of things are meaningless, right? What's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite movie? Right? What's your favorite fast food restaurant? Right? And you know, I say they're meaningless in the grand scheme of things because if you're ever in a major car accident, none of that information matters, right? Who cares what their favorite ice cream is? Who cares what their favorite movie is? Right? Um, but when you love someone, you want to know everything about them. You want to know how they think. You want to know what makes them tick. You want to know why do they do things the way they do, right? Why do they put the toilet paper flipping over, not under, right? Uh, These things matter.
1: matter. (laughs) You said that backwards.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or why don't they do it the other way? Um, You know, and so, and I say that because the study of theology, the study of, you know, doctrine, it's not, we don't do this, um, just to engage in mental exercises. You know, we don't do it just so that we can uh, feel smart or so that we can just theologically pummel uh, those that disagree with us. Uh, in the end, even our theology should be driven by a love for God. Um, our, our Our love for theology should be driven by a love for the God we are studying because we simply want to know him. What is he like? How does he think? How? Why does he operate the way that he does? Whether we agree with it or not, it's a matter of wanting to know him rightly, the God who saved us. What kind of a God would do that? I mean, you can start with the gospel. What kind of a God steps out of heaven, becomes human, dies on the cross for my sin? What What kind of a God would do that? Um. And so that kind of love... That drove Christ to be willing to go to the cross is the kind of love that drives us to to want to dissect Scripture and understand God as best we can. So when we talk about the atonement, um, it's a question that's that's important, I think. Um, who did Christ die for? Um, did he die for everyone? Because that's typically, and I've said this before, um, all Christians, when they first get saved, start out as an Arminian, right? Right at least for some period of time. Um, if they get saved in a Reformed family or a Reformed church, then thankfully it's for a short amount of time. Um, but nonetheless, initially, there's always that belief that I did this. I, I, I heard the gospel, I thought about it, I weighed the pros and cons, and I made a decision. Uh, until somebody comes along and says, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Um, for some of us, that Arminian for a phase in life was a lot longer. Um, But it starts with, what did Christ accomplish to do? Um, and so let's look at, uh, here's a passage that comes to mind, John chapter 6. It's one we've looked at a lot um, for different reasons, but it's a packed passage. I mean, these few verses, boy, you could do a whole sermon series on these few verses in John. John chapter 6, verse 37. We've looked at this a few times. Just so, just want to remind you, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So, all that the Father gives me, certain number, certain ones, whoever they are, Jesus says, they will come to me. And those who come to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day it's important to keep this in mind as we begin to talk about the atonement that jesus came with a mission and that mission was my heavenly father has given me certain ones now for the sake of argument let's just say we don't know who those are maybe it's everybody right that's what rob bell would say right did god give everybody to jesus or did god only give a certain number to jesus but whatever the answer is, he's given Jesus certain ones and Jesus says they will come to me and I will not lose one. Um, so, right there, it raises the question almost immediately that, um, that if Jesus, you know, if, 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 if only some are going to be saved, and only God and and the Heavenly Father only gave some to Christ, and only those will come to Christ, and only those will never be lost, then why would Jesus die on the cross for everybody else? I mean, if he already knows the Father has not given me all of these, and these will not come to me, and these will be eternally lost, then why would Jesus die on the cross for them? So it just defies logic to even think that way. So the only explanation, you would have to argue that everybody was given to Jesus, but there's too many texts that fly in the face of that thought. Um, one is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Right there, Jesus says that the road to heaven is like a narrow winding road. What
1: was that again, Matthew?
0: Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Um the road to heaven is like a narrow winding road, and the road to hell is like a, a broad highway. And Jesus says, many will go there. Right? So by Jesus' own words, people go to hell. Right. The road to heaven is narrow. The, ride to, the road to hell is broad. There are many will go there. Not only that, but in the Gospel of John, look at the way Jesus talks about... Um, what he came to do. You look at Matthew chapter ten, and uh, and we've looked at this one before as well.
2: Matthew
0: or John? I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry, John ten. John chapter ten. So, meant for you to just flip to the right a little bit. John chapter ten, uh, verse eleven, and Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them away and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. So he's saying whoever these sheep are, I know them and they know me with the same level of intimacy as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And then he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. right? So he's the good shepherd, and he has certain sheep. Those sheep are those that the Father has given him. And Jesus says, I lay down my life for them. right? The good shepherd doesn't lay down his life for someone else's sheep. He lays down his life for his own sheep. And so Jesus even talks about his own, uh, the, the 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 whole purpose in which he came was to lay down his life. The Father has given him certain ones; he will not lose one. He lays down his life for the sheep. So there the there's the extent of the the atonement, right? In in terms of it's applied to the sheep. Um, not only that, but the Bible uses legal terms and even financial terms to talk about. Uh, Those for whom Christ died, Uh, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. scripture says, and you who were dead, remember he's writing to believers, he's writing to the church in Colossae, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, so there's that resurrection language that Paul is so fond of, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, how does he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Right. So the Bible is clear that when Christ died on the cross, he canceled the record of debt. And we all understand that kind of language. I mean, if you own a home, right, if you're paying a mortgage, right, you you owe a debt. You don't actually own your home. I was just talking to my kids about this the other day. They were asking us about owning a home. And I, I, I made the statement, well, we don't actually own the home. The bank owns the home because we're making payments on it. And then, and then I, I said, you know, until we pay it off. And then Terry chimes in and says, well, even then we don't own it. Then the state owns it because you got to keep paying taxes on it. So then we got into this whole political discussion with our kids about who actually owns the property, right? We never really own it. And somebody else always owns it. Um, but, but nonetheless, at least in terms of a, a, a debt that is owed, uh, the bank owns it, right? And until that debt is paid off, but once the debt is paid by me or someone else, then I am free from that debt. Um, and this is where you know you get uh, our Armenian friends, our Armenian brothers and sisters in Christ, who will say, "Yes, but but faith is required." Well, then they're not reading this text; they're not taking this text at face value. Because if someone goes to my bank, even without my knowledge, and pays off my mortgage for me, right? Some rich uncle walks in and says, I'm just going to pay off their house, right? It'll be a Christmas present. You can surprise them by sending them a letter or the, the, the deed and saying, well, it's been paid off. You now own it. Um,
1: <laughs> all right. make- <laughs> so
0: someone does that without my, without my knowledge. Right, and I get that letter in the mail. Whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. I mean, I go to the bank and say I don't believe this. I want to make a payment on it. They're going to say you can't make a payment on it. It's been paid, right? I mean, I'm so we can't take your money, Mister Maldonado. You can try to give it to us all day long. It has been paid, right? Um, and it would be unjust for them to try to make me pay it, right? We all understand that. If they said to me, well. Since you don't believe it, then we'll let you keep making payments on it, right? Pretty sure that's illegal, right? <laughs> they, they, they they can't say since you don't believe it, you can. We'll just take your money and we'll stuff it away somewhere because you don't believe it. That's fine. Keep paying us. We'll just keep it. Right? They can't do that, right? They they would have to say we cannot. Sorry, we can't take it. Um, if the debt's been paid, the debt's been paid. And so the question is that if Christ paid the debt of Everybody. Then, why does anybody perish? Why does anybody perish? Now, again, when the Armenian says, "Well, because they refuse to believe," well, then you have to go back to the question that Arthur Pink pa- asked in in his wonderful book, *The Sovereignty of God*. Uh, he he asked the question, "Well, is unbelief a sin?" And if unbelief is the if the refusal to bow the knee to Christ's lordship, if that is a sin then did Christ pay for that sin? Or did he only pay for all of the other sins and that, and not that one sin? Um, so it it begs the question, the obvious answer then, it puts them on the horns of a dilemma, Christ paid the debt. Um, so that's the language that the Bible uses, um, that the debt has been canceled. So the question becomes, okay, we still have to really find a text that says, well, who, to what extent? I mean, we know that all that the Father has given to me will will come to me, right? They will come to me. Um, they will not be lost. They will not be cast out. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. But all of these have to be understood in light of the many passages that says that there are a great many people that perish in hell. Um, there are a great many people who will refuse to bow the knee. So universalism simply doesn't work um the bible when when we study passages on hell hell is eternal it is the place where the worm will not die it is the place that uh revelation chapter 20 describes as the lake of eternal fire right so people go there and they are there eternally therefore christ could not have died for everyone otherwise nobody goes to hell but we know that people do go to hell um we also have to study, I think, all of these New Testament texts in, in light of the Old Testament. We always have to remember that, that the Old and the New go together. The New Testament flows out of the Old Testament. Um, particularly when we look at passages like, when you study the book of Hebrews, right? The author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to point out that Jesus is the great high priest. And he's come uh, to fulfill what really all of the high priests in the Old Testament were not able uh, to accomplish. Because if all of the Old Testament laws, if all of the Old Testament sacrifices were able to really atone for sins, then why did they keep offering the same sacrifices over and over and over again, right? That's Hebrews chapter 10. He talks about that. But in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9, um, here again, talking about Christ as the great high priest, verse 11. This is one of my favorite verses when we talk about definite redemption. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, so there it is, Christ is the high priest, of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he used the, the phrase tent, because remember, before there was the Solomon's temple, there was the tabernacle, right, which was a tent. And so he says, he has come, uh, he, he, he then came uh, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, it is not of this creation, he entered, verse 12, he entered once for all, unlike the former high priest who had to go in every year, once a year, the day of atonement, they had to go into the same sacrifice over and over and over again. Excuse me, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, and here it is, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right. When Christ died on the cross, he secured, and this is this is really clear and strong language. Whoever it is he died for, he secured an eternal redemption. Um you know, if you were if you were going to travel somewhere, um, or or you yeah, if you were going to travel somewhere and, and 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 maybe your company booked a hotel for you and You called that hotel before getting on the plane. I just want to make sure that I have a hotel room. And they said to you on the phone, yes, your hotel room has been secured for you. And it will be waiting upon your arrival. Right? If you got there and they said, "Oh, we don't have a room for you, you'd be pretty upset, right? Because you said you had secured a room for me. That means it is there, it is fixed, and when I get there, it's going to still be there waiting for me. We understand that kind of language. And here we're told that Christ, the great high priest, entered into the eternal uh, tabernacle with his own blood, and he secured an eternal redemption. And see, this is where all of these doctrines go together. When we talk about the perseverance of the saints, what makes that doctrine so sure is the fact that whoever Christ died for, he secured an eternal redemption. They cannot be lost. They can't lose their salvation. It is once for all a done deal for those who have placed faith in Christ, for those for whom Christ has died. Um, because again, when we go back to the Old Testament, you know, uh, I started to say that, the, that these two things go together. And in the Old Testament, we see this doctrine there. When the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer up a sacrifice, who was he offering that sacrifice for?
1: People.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which people? Whose people? people? God's people, right? Yes.
1: So, you know, you're just talking about people think that they can lose their salvation. Do you think that they oftentimes just confuse that with backsliding or just kind of, kind of letting the woes of the world, you know, beat you down and you kind of just fall away? But I'm trying to think of the way to say it, like... Um like when people say, Oh, they lost their salvation or they can lose their salvation, is it could that be just confused with like I said, like somebody um going to church and they lose uh they lose a loved one or something so precious to them that they just can't understand, mm-hmm. you know, why God would do such a thing, so they just say um, that's not for me. I don't believe that anymore. Right. I mean, you don't lose yeah. your salvation, but you lose your, your passion yeah. and your your love for Christ. I mean...
0: That's a difficult question to answer. And, and here's, here's why, I think. Because on the one hand, it could be that, yes, they've fallen into a backslidden state like many true Christians do. Um, but those who are genuine believers will return, right? So it may be that they have simply fallen into a temporary backslidden state, um, are grieving the Holy Spirit, and because they've not been taught properly, uh, yes, they're confused and thinking, I've lost my salvation. Um, or they, or, or, or when they've come back, when the Holy Spirit has brought them back, they may look back on that and think to themselves, I lost my salvation. But now I've regained it by, you know, recommitting myself to Christ, right? So, on the one hand, it may be that they're simply confused that they haven't been taught right. But on the other hand, those who think that way, the question has to be asked, do they even have a proper understanding of the gospel? No. Right. Right.
2: And the reason I say that, I have personal experience, but I'm from Pennsylvania, and the Mennonites, as a sect... Yeah, they believe they can lose their salvation. Right. My my roofers were men and I. They used to yell. It was great to listen to them. Right. But I would yeah. have talks with them because they literally believe they can lose their salvation. I, and it's like they think it's a revolving door. It's like, oh my right. gosh, if, if I just sin, man, I'm I'm lost again. Right, right. And it's 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 a right. crazy. It's a
0: crazy. Na- Nazarites believe that too. The Church of the Nazarene and there are certain charismatic Pentecostal groups that believe that as well. And you have to wonder if. If they even, and that's where you know I'm going to stop myself. I don't want to judge um, and say that anybody who holds to that can't possibly be saved. Uh, They may, um, but it does raise the question: Do they really even understand the gospel? Because those who do believe that, in the end, they're really holding to some form of work salvation. Um, that salvation is faith plus works, yeah. plus my labor, <laughs> plus something I do. But we want to be careful because if we press that too far, the reality is that's what every Arminian believes, is that salvation is some form of works between them and God, right? Yeah, because if you use the illustration with an Arminian and say, let me ask you this, is this how salvation worked?" And you know, everybody's floundering in their yeah. sin, God throws out a life raft and says, if you'll climb in, I'll pull you to safety. Every Armenian is gonna say, Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, isn't that a form of works? I mean, didn't you do something to get saved? Well, yes. But you know, God did 99.99% of it, but you're still adding some work. So at its core, at its at its core, Armenianism is a false gospel. It really is. It's a false gospel. It's a it's a form of work salvation. But most Armenians don't know that.
1: Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, cause I've just heard people say that before, and I'm like, well, I, don't, I mean, like you were saying, if you had a really true understanding of what salvation was and the free gift of it, right. then you wouldn't have to say I lost it. I mean, you can't return it. Right. You can't exchange it. Right. So I was just, I've heard so many people say that, like in you know, inner circles and stuff. Oh, like, they're so wayward. They're just backsliding right now.
0: You know, right, I yeah,
1: goes
2: on for year after year after right. year. I right, would Definitely question. Right, that person It's saved. a huge lack of assurance.
0: Yeah, true yeah. assurance. And 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 the best thing to do for that person is you're not doing them any favor if you assure them that they are saved, but they're simply that backs yes. in the right. state. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, we can't see faith. We can't see into someone's heart. All we can see is fruit. Mm-hmm. And if there's no fruit, there's no reason to believe that the person is actually saved. Mm-hmm. Um now, we have to be careful as well that we don't overjudge that either, like how much fruit, right? Mm-hmm. In the end, the, the, the there's a minimum amount of fruit, and that minimum amount of fruit has to be an understanding and receiving of the gospel, right? An understanding and receiving of the gospel. In other words, the fruit of repentance and faith.
2: Yes.
0: Um, and I say that because how much fruit did the thief on the cross demonstrate, right? Right. I mean, we didn't see any fruit other than his words, right? I believe, right? And he really didn't even say that, but ultimately, Jesus can see faith, and he could see this man has placed faith in me. Today you'll be with me in paradise, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so it's really just faith. And so the faith, honestly, doesn't even have to be verbalized because the... Thief on the cross didn't really verbalize faith, right? He didn't say, I believe you are the Son of God. Um, but he uh
1: confessed his guilt right. for Jesus' innocence. Yeah. And Jesus yes. knows his sheep. And and, and Jesus
0: see hear his, his voice. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So, um but nonetheless, had he come off the cross, had somehow he lived, maybe they took him down, and he began to live his life. You know, we would expect to see a transformed life in in his life, right? The thief on the cross. We would expect to see a transformed life, and if we don't see some sort of transformation, to some degree, and I, and again, I say that to some degree because I have met Christians that I think are true believers, been walking with the Lord for decades, and uh, boy, just have not grown very much. Mm-hmm. A lot of it had to do with they've never really been discipled. They've been a part of a church that just doesn't teach the Bible and they really just don't know know a whole lot. And that's that's unfortunate when you see that. Um, But nonetheless, many of them, I would say, yeah, believers, they just, they really need to be in a more solid church, right? So we want to extend grace. Um, Thankfully, uh, the only theology that we have to have right is the gospel, right? The gospel is what we have to have right. Um, And so again, you go to the Old Testament and the high priest, he offered the sacrifice for God's people, not for people in China, not for people, you know, um, in South Africa, uh, for God's people. So when you get to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is driving on that point that Christ is that high priest who offers himself as a sacrifice for his people, securing an eternal redemption. Um So, I think the Bible is quite clear. Um, the Bible is clear that, uh, that the, the, uh, that the atonement is, is, is unlimited in its efficacy. Uh, certainly Christ's death on the cross was enough to pay for all of the sins of every person in the world if he wanted it to. But it's limited in its extent. It's only applied to the elect. Um, now, of course, in a conversation like this, we have to deal with some of the obvious uh, responses that we get, some of the obvious texts that people will go to, um, right? Because the first response that you're going to get from anybody is, but the Bible says, for God so loved the world right, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? Yes, Bobby.
2: There's, there's seven different words. In the Greek, for the word world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you have to say, okay, well, what does the world mean in this context? Right. Because it doesn't mean what people think it
0: means. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's a couple of things to say about that. I mean, that's one, right? The, the Greek word, he's referring to the Greek word "cosmos." It, it can mean a variety of things. It doesn't always mean every single human being. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of examples... Um, We could look at, I'll just give you two. One is in um, uh, John uh, chapter 12, uh, John chapter 12, uh, Jesus' triumphal entry, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him, right? Now, were they really saying, Look, people from South Africa and China, right? No, that's not what they mean. They just mean that there are massive amounts of people that are following Jesus. They don't literally mean every single person on the face of the planet is following Jesus, right? Another one is Luke. Luke chapter 2 is another good example. The world does not always mean every single person. You all are familiar with this, the birth of Jesus Christ, right? We're coming up to Advent season. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Well, we know that doesn't mean every single person on the place of the planet. So
1: back to what he was saying, just curious, because the argument, had this argument, this was presented in, in a church we went to, that the Greek word for all means all. So when you go back to, to the Greek of it, how do you... Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's just kind of like they're cherry-picking. Well, the Greek word for all means all, so that okay. means all. <laughs>
0: well, right here, I just read Caesar Augustus mm-hmm. that all the world should be registered. So then you can just, the argument goes right back at them. So Caesar wanted every person on the face of the planet to be registered, right? No. Okay. So, um, yes, all does mean all. The question is, what do we mean by world, right? It doesn't mean every single person. So, when you talk about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, there's two things that can be said about John 3.16. One, what is the meaning of world? But two, even if you were to take it that way, ultimately, they are reading more into that verse than is really there. Mm-hmm. When you just look at what the verse says, okay, for God so loved the world. Okay, God had a love for the world. Let's assume that it's a love for every person. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son, okay? That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Nowhere in that verse does it say Jesus died for every person. That verse simply doesn't say that, right? They're reading into it something that just isn't there. Everything about that verse is, take it at face value. God had a love for the world, for humanity, for every person. You could even take it that way that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, we know not everyone will, shall not perish but have eternal life. It really is not talking about the extent of the atonement. Yes?
2: Remind me, does the King James use the phrase whosoever?
0: Uh, I think it does. It's it's a, little a little bit think it different whosoever. Than whoever. Right.
2: Whosoever, I think that right. connotation, at least in my mind, in English, has a little bit more of a hit than right. just is. Do so ever right yeah A little, little bit different.
0: and this is where the important hermeneutical principle comes into play that we always interpret the the uh the 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 unclear text in light of the clearer text right there are passages that aren't super clear and then there are others that are clearer we interpret the less clear in light of the clear so we interpret john three sixteen in light of John chapter 6, verse 37 and following, where Jesus says, All that the Father has given to me, they will come to me, and I will not lose one of them. of them. Right, right. I will not lose one of them. Another clear text, the one we just looked at, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, that Christ died on the cross to secure an eternal redemption. Right? All these texts tell us that Jesus died for specific ones. So whoever John three sixteen is talking about now talking about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for everyone, those other texts are far clearer. Yes, Bob? I
2: can't remember. Did you mention John seventeen, eleven, and twelve where he says, My sheep hear my voice? That's possession, right? Yeah.
0: There. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, a, a that's a
2: certain set of sheep. Yeah. My sheep. Right. Not your sheep or their sheep, but my sheep.
0: Yeah, that's John ten. Yeah. Um that's John, John ten with seventeen, eleven and twelve. Yep.
2: 17,
0: I think. Yep. Yeah, he goes on to say that in uh, yep verse
2: uh, 11, uh,
0: fourteen. I am the good shepherd. Let's see. Um, I think
2: it's John seventeen, eleven, and twelve.
0: No, that's the, that's the high priestly prayer.
2: Yeah.
0: It's John ten. Um,
2: wherever wherever it is, it I mean, definitely 14. signifies a particular
0: fourteen, sheep. 14. My God. My God. i am the good shepherd i know my own my own know me just as the father knows me i know the father laid on my sheep uh da, da, da. this reason i lay them down uh twenty seven john 10 27. my sheep hear my voice i know them and they follow me i give them Eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We looked at that one last week, with perseverance of the saints, right? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Bobby. My sheep hear my voice; I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, right? And so the text is really clear there. But here's a here's a here's another one that is um, oftentimes referred to uh, is First um, uh, John. First John chapter 1. Chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Verse two. Here's here's a stickler for you. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh oh. What do we do with that? Right.
2: Who's he writing, John? Right. Who's he writing to? And then who does he mean? You know, I'm writing to you,
0: but all Yeah. Right. So, John, I think there's two things, what you're getting at, is that, so he is the propitiation for our sins, believers, right, but not only for ours, but also for everyone else that is out there, right, beyond the borders of Israel, Um, and so John is simply making the point that it's not so much that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of every single person but that he is also the propitiation for every other nation, for every other continent, for every other people group that is out there on the face of the planet, and not just for Jews, not just for the nation of Israel. Yes, Shannon?
1: Um, Also, back in John, when the section, I'm the bread of life, in chapter 6, 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He talks about how, like you just said, like the says the universal relevance and appeals that his saving work benefits those from every nationality whom the Father has given to him. Right. You're saying not just Israel, but also. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So all of these texts have to be taken together, and this is where we have to be careful that we don't just throw out one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at passages like this, again we go back to passages like Hebrews. Uh, Nine twelve. he secured an eternal redemption you know you go back to passages like um we just looked at chapter 10 uh verse 27 my sheep know my voice they follow me and i give them eternal life right all that the father has given to me will come to me those texts imply that jesus does not die for every person and Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the road to hell is broad and many go there. The road to heaven is narrow, right? Um, So when Christ died on the cross, um, again, Colossians chapter 2, he canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. It all ties together in the sense that, you know, we've been talking about um, the five points of Calvinism, right? Total depravity. We can't choose for God. Um, Jason I'm not I'm going to get to you in a minute. We can't choose we can't choose for God. Um, we're dead in our sins, right? And so we looked at all of those passages that talk about we're blind to the things of God. We are enmity against things of God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So Christ has to raise us to life. He clearly doesn't do that with everyone, right? He only does that with certain ones. And why would Christ die on the cross for the sins of those for whom he's not going to raise from the dead. If salvation is a matter of Christ raising people from the dead, he knows who he's going to raise from the dead. Those are the individuals that have been chosen from before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1 3. So why would he die on the cross for the sins of those that have not been chosen from the foundations of the earth, that he's not going to sovereignly raise from the dead? All of those texts would simply not make any sense, uh, if we want to try to hold to the fact that Christ died on the cross for everyone. I think the struggle with people is that it sounds, just sounds more loving that Christ died for everyone, but it doesn't jive with Scripture. Jason?
2: This one's off topic, but if we have a chance to test that, it'll be really interesting. So the Bible's pretty clear that blood is necessary for atonement. Mm-hmm. Everything from the old Levitic law to Christ dying, blood to be shed or for any yeah. atonement of God to actually happen. Right. So my question is... is what are the Jews doing? Because the animal sacrifice went out about 30 or 60 AD, according to my research from yesterday, kind of fortuitous to a brand of this, but then, like, they've got nothing to stand up. Yeah. It's and an, you would think that'd be like their light bulb was like, oh, this guy yeah. who came to play, and yeah. off topic, Yeah, but... That's
0: a good question. I'll give you a short, I'll give you a really quick, short answer. Uh, they have a completely different religion today. Yeah. They, they do not practice the Judaism of the Old Testament. They can't. Without a temple... Without the Ark of the Covenant, they—they're not at all. It is what they do today is a radically different religion than what you read about in the Old Testament, um, because they can't. So then, how do they? How do they? What do they do about the whole idea of a Messiah and write all of those messianic passages? Um, what, do they, what do they do with Isaiah fifty-three? Well, they argue that, uh, that 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 those passages are about Israel. And that that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, somehow will suffer for the sins of the nation, hence the Holocaust. They'll point to the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. They'll point to what's happening in Israel today. Um, And they have basically attempted to personify the nation as a whole. Um, But it's it's a different religion because, yeah, they can't. They can't really atone for sins. There's no atonement for sins in their current religion. Yeah. Bobby, you were going to say something?
2: Yeah, it, it's you were talking about like different questions to always come up, and the, the big one that always comes up is, well, if people are foreordained, and the election is true, and la, 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 then well, why evangelize that? Ah, What's the purpose of that?
0: That right. question always comes up. That's yeah,
2: At least it has in my experience. Yeah, and I think
0: I think I mentioned that once before. You know, Arthur Pink's great quote is that he says the gospel is not an invitation, it's a proclamation. And it's not a pro- proclamation concerning sinners it is a proclamation concerning that glorious thing which christ accomplished at the cross right um in the end when we share the gospel what we're really doing is we are proclaiming the glories of what christ has done right that god stepped out of heaven took on human form died on the cross for sins right Um, so that's number one number two uh, even with regard to the elect the elect will only be saved through the hearing of the gospel Right, uh, Romans one16 sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. I mean, going by Scripture, if every Christian were to cease proclaiming the gospel, no one else would get saved, which would mean there are no more elect out there. Uh, but the elect are saved through the hearing of the gospel. So when we were doing the evangelism thing uh, just last Thursday, you know, we were talking about that. You know, we're all Calvinists. We're out there street witnessing, right? But why? The primary reason is to glorify Christ, right? You're glorifying God by saying, look at what he's done. Plus
1: it's Ooh, obedience. I mean, we're
0: and And it's just like fishing, right? We're fishing for men. And just like fishing, right, you cast your line out, you reel it in, nothing. Well, cast it over here. Reel it in. Well, nothing. Cast it over here, right? You keep doing that. Until God sovereignly puts the fish on the hook, right? Right? God sovereignly puts, and then you go, "Whoa, we caught one!" Right? But God did that. Um, yes.
1: Virgin has a quote, something like, "I'll watch it," but something like, "If." The elect each of the elect were walking around with a bright orange or yellow color yellow vest on. Was it yellow? A yellow stripe on their vest. Would, yeah, I would, you know, go, go around straight, straight to the shirt But because that would be thank you know the Right. question. <laughs> 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 oh, wait, I'm gonna <laughs> <I> say <slowly laughs> don't I share the tell everybody.
0: Well, you know, the the, the yeah. in the end, the the doctrine of election should embolden us toward evangelism mm-hmm. it should and in fact when you study the history of missions you'll discover that that most of the most of the missionaries that you read about were calvinist um, when they went out to share the gospel when they went across to foreign lands they were most of them many of them were calvinist um, and yet they're going overseas um because they know the elect are out there
1: mm-hmm. right
0: the Armenian becomes a missionary hoping that someone might get saved, the Calvinist becomes a missionary, knowing there's a elect out there. I just need to run across them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read a story years and years and years ago, but it was presented as, as a true story. And this uh, preacher was telling the story of a friend that uh, that he had known who uh, was in seminary. And so you have these two friends who graduate from seminary at the same time. One uh, becomes a missionary. The other pastors a church in the United States. Years later, they run across each other at a conference or something, and uh, they strike up a conversation, man, it's been years since we've seen each other, you know, and uh, the one who's pastoring a church in the United States, big church, everything's going great. He says, so what have you been doing? He says, I've been down deep in South America near the Amazon jungle, you know, just being a missionary. And he says, what in the world took you way down there, you know, to- <laughs> You know, to be a missionary. And he said, I was looking for the elect, and I found one.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so, you know, at the end of the day, these doctrines are designed, you know, by God to embolden us. That we're not wasting our time, right? Um, particularly depending on your view of the end times. In my view, the end times is correct, which I know it is.
1: Um, Laughter
0: when, <laughs> when, when the last when the last elect person gets saved Christ is returning and the end comes mm-hmm. right so as long as we're still here there's still elect that are out there mm-hmm. and as long as we keep sharing the gospel we're going to come across them and they're going to get saved and we just keep doing it right because when the last one gets saved you're going to hear the trumpet sound <laughs> and here he comes because the end is the end is now right um so, yeah, but great questions, why why evangelize? And, you know, I guess a third answer would be, someone said it, just obedience, yeah. right? It's just obedience. Um, yeah, I mean, if if Jesus in person says, you know, I want you to walk down the street and share the gospel with every person you come across, but know that no one's going to listen, would you do it? You should want to, right? Well, sure. And, I mean, that's what we see the prophets doing. I mean, I think I've mentioned, uh, um, you know, Isaiah, Um You know, God essentially tells Isaiah and Ezekiel, "Right, I'm calling you to be a prophet. Nobody's going to listen to you, though." Right here I am.
1: God sent me. They
0: do it anyways because Mm -hmm. God commands me to speak, even though He's already told me no one is going to listen. But they still go out faithfully and they proclaim the gospel because it's a matter of obedience. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of obedience. Christ commands us to share the gospel.
1: Speak, (laughs) and you still share the gospel. (laughs) I love that. Everywhere we go, I mean, it's just you know there it is. In his countenance, so...
0: Amen, amen. So, anyways, this is such a glorious doctrine because, you know, if you have placed faith in Christ, you're the elect, and Christ has secured for you an eternal redemption. This goes hand-in-hand hand with perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Your salvation cannot be lost, um, and it's all about faith. And it doesn't matter, again, it doesn't matter how bad you blow it as a Christian. Mm-hmm. As long as you are clinging to Christ by faith, He has canceled the record of debt oh that stood against you, both past, present, and future. He knows every sin you're going to commit; He paid for all of those as well. All we have to do is keep faith in Christ, and your room is secured, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your room is secured. Yes. So
2: now we have for those. Is Revelation
0: next? No. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. A lot of other
1: books first.
0: Alright, well why don't we close in a word of prayer? Our gracious God, um, merciful, amazing Father, we thank you for all of your amazing, amazing grace. What a great song to start this uh this evening with. Amazing grace. Um truly, uh, it is amazing. Um Why you uh, have chosen to save a people um, unto yourself is just a mystery. None of us are deserving of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness to step out of the glory of heaven, to take on human form, uh, to to take the punishment um, for us that we are surely deserving of. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to just uh, keep faith in you to know that our eternal redemption is not based on anything that we do, but is simply based on all that you uh, have done and will do for us. And we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.